gonna shut the door. It's not even gonna shut. Fuck it. Table's too big. Okay. Hey folks, welcome to Crush This Moss Truck Podcast. Uh, I'm here with my big old mic. Um, <laughs> it's Cheech. Uh, we're doing a little quick, we're doing back-to-back episodes. Brad will be on the episode with Cole Vinard here and uh, with an hour or so, but I uh, kind of double booked and uh, was uh, my mistake on that. But um, I, I want to thank uh, everyone from... Uh, High Octane Coffee, J Concepts, Back Channel Productions, 6B Apparel, and also JB Scale Graphics. Uh, next week will be a guy that's pretty cool, uh, Mark Wheeler. Uh, he drove a truck called the Terra Duster, which is an old school monster truck. And then uh, later on, he drove trucks like Brett the Hitman Hart and Stone Cold 316. Uh, and then uh, was one of the original um, uh, guys that, uh, was able to get a major sponsorship deal. Uh, Hardy's was pretty big on the motorsports deal, uh, sponsored a cup, uh, NASCAR cup cars and stuff like that. And sponsored one car for the, uh, movie days of thunder. And, uh, so he got his truck sponsored about that. So, uh, this time is uh pretty cool. We're going to have a, Oh, actually a, a good friend of mine. And, uh, he, uh, was there when I first started monster jam. And uh, he was uh, when I first met him. He uh, was working with uh, FS1 Cletus and the Doomsday truck when the Doomsday was a regular Monster Jam truck, not no hidden gem that they had the year prior to it. And then uh, we toured together in the 2017 year in the Arena Tour, and that's the year uh, he uh, won uh, the Arena Tour Championship with Justin Sipes and Megalodon, the uh, inaugural year for that monster truck. Um, and then, uh, we did, uh, throughout the shows, a bunch of shows throughout. Um, he was also a cool one is, uh, we'll talk about later. Uh, he was the crew chief for the inaugural year of the VP racing fuel mad scientist. Uh, he ran that for, uh, uh, for first quarter and, uh, he will talk about how he, uh, uh, did this huge journey that he did. And, uh, uh, you know, we talk off and on, and we're huge sports fanatics, so we'll talk about a lot about that stuff, too. So, uh, if you guys want to know, uh, that is Mr. Phil Ricardo. <laughs> Thanks, Cheech. Uh, what's going on? You're welcome. What's going on, man? Uh, not too much. Just got home and 
been waiting all day for this, man. I've been on and off watching your podcast and seeing all your posts. And then finally I got the courage to one day to message you and just be like, hey, you know what? Let me on that show, if you don't mind. And, well, here we are. Let's let the fun begin. Yeah, you're the... Pretty much the second crew chief to be on outside. Well, Dustin Brown, but he he was the driver too. But you know, fill in and talk about the the side of uh, the the what people think is the magical fairy side of everything. I guess they so called say. But um, you started out not with wrenching, but when you started out, uh, you're a fan and stuff like that. But how did you get your foot in the door with the quad wars that you uh? helped out in uh, okay so basically everything begins with the legendary rosemont horizon which everybody still to this day will call it the rosemont horizon but its actual name is the all-state arena located in rosemont illinois uh i was just you know the average joe going to the show having a good time seeing the quads and then after the show or in between the intermissions, you know, you would go to concession stands and get your pop and candy and all that other stuff. Well, I happened to bump into one of the writers whose name was Eric and I got to talking with him and then we just kind of hit it off from there. And then I gave him my phone number and then a couple of months went by and then he called me up out of the blue and said, Hey, how would you like to come and do a show with us down in Quincy, Illinois? I was all for it. Uh, went to Quincy hung out with the quad wars guys, got to meet everybody. And then, uh, they found out that I turned wrenches. So before I even technically started riding, I was helping them out, prep their quads, wipe them down, you know, fix anything was mechanically wrong. And then, you know, dates after that, we just kept going and doing show after show. And then, uh, I was able to get one of my quads able to be race ready. So I thought went to go and do the show at the all state arena during our practice, I end up blowing up my transmission and losing second gear. But throughout that, not only was it, you know, a great weekend, but it was kind of, it had its ups and downs. Mostly uh, one of the memories that I'll never forget, and everybody still talks to this, to this day, is uh, before we went out for practice, I was frantically just trying to get everything together, get my, get my gear on. I was wearing a pair of... Uh, what was it like those fleece pajama pants that I had over my racing gear? Cause being in that tunnel at that time, our pits were outside. There was no heated tent, no nothing. So I was just trying to stay a little warm. They gave us the green light. I jumped on my quad and I took off not realizing that I was still wearing pajama pants. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, it's a good, it's a good, uh, racing uniform. You know, keep yourself warm and everything like that. But what was the quad that you owned? Or you I, had, I had a, uh, it was a Raptor 660. Mm. The Yamaha Raptor 660. So, so, okay. So you did the Rosemont, but uh, did the guys start picking you up and you were touring a little bit or were you just local help I, or? Yeah, I would go and help, and then at that time, because you know money was a little tight, uh, repairs were getting godly expensive on the equipment. So I basically just you know showed up, gave them a hand, fixed their equipment, and then you know I would go out and you know ride around a little bit, and uh, it was just basically there as like you know their backup and their mechanic. I uh, got a chance to you know ride in a couple other shows on one of their quads, which was very extremely nice of them to let me do it. And then uh, just basically it was all a helping hand. And then it was at at that point in time that uh, one of the writers, Roger, he saw the look in my eyes and he knew that the monster trucks was what I was really after. And he basically said, your door is open. Step through it. Go follow your dreams. And so I took his advice, made a couple of phone calls, bothered the heck out of a couple of drivers. And uh, eventually I got my way through to Mr. Henry Cross and we got to talking. And then that was around 2013 that I got the phone call saying, hey, you know, come come on down to come on down to Fellow Entertainment in Florida. So packed up life and that's where we went from there. So you get there and pretty much they're they're basically being new because they're moving to this big building in Ellington, Florida. 
And how was your first year and who was the team that you were with and uh, who were the crew members that were with you uh, your first year? Okay, first year was basically, um, going to admit it, starstruck. Like, you know, you, you see these guys on TV and, uh, you know, it's, you know, when you're growing up and you've watched these drivers, they almost become basically your heroes. And I icon these people. Just like I, I, you know, icon Dale Earnhardt. So when I finally got to be around these drivers, it was, you know, a little nervous, a little shaky. But, you know, it kind of came out of my shell a little bit. And then I was teamed up with Tanner and uh, Vern. And we had uh, Leo Donnell and Sean Duhon, which at that time, Leo Donnell was racing the awesome Ironman. And uh, Sean Duhon was with Zombie. Now, at the time with that Zombie truck, it did not have the arms. When we got to Detroit, that's when it came down from the higher ups to, you know, hey, we got something in mind. Can you make this work? And they sent us those cool zombie arms that we got to uh, install. And from there, it was just the coolest, funniest thing in the world. So what was the learning curve for you when you uh, first got there? I know everyone's different, and I know it's, as a crew member, it's that sink or swim mentality uh that uh you know we do in the monster truck world but um how was your first first quarter at learning about these trucks um extremely knowledgeable uh learning off tanner was probably the best thing that i ever did i mean i really didn't want to bother him too much because you know as a team leader you had so many responsibilities and i just didn't want to be that pain in the butt third guy so i would watch him from a distance uh kind of really pay attention when he was uh gassing up shocks or going over the truck shaking it down uh helping out with corners just basically more so just keeping my my mouth shut but my eyes and my ears definitely open so the learning experience that i had was basically it it was pretty much there and then just going from that, it was probably one of the best experiences I could ever have. You know, after this show, we're having our main show with our guest, Cole Vinard, and he was my teacher for my first year. And that's uh, kind of a back-to-back -back crew member type deal, but she's pretty cool. So um, after first quarter, uh, I know a lot of times with Monster Jam, they put you with, you know, you jump with different groups and, Stuff like that. And uh, so you did you go to any international shows your first year? Oh, yeah. Uh, one, well, I can't really say it's international because it was just Canada. Uh, my first year after first quarter was all said and done. I got to bounce around a little bit. I spent a lot of time at Paxton, Illinois, but we'll get to that. Uh Canada, I had uh, Barry Musauer with Spider-Man, and that was at Calgary. It, it was cold. Like, we got there, there it was still snowing, and we're like, we're going to do a show on this? And then the show promoter at the time was like, this will all be gone overnight. I didn't think it was going to be gone. The next morning we wake up, the track looked like nothing ever happened. No snow, no nothing. And Barry went out and pretty much rocked the house the whole weekend. So let's fast forward to 2014. So were you, did they assign you a truck for your second year or were you again, a third guy? Uh, they did. I got the honor and privilege to take reins of uh, doomsday. Uh, I had a lot of doubts. I really, really had to sit there and think about it. Like, you know, am I able to handle this responsibility? will I make this work? So it finally came down to a week before, you know, the pencil was to the paper of, you know, everybody being finalized. And I sat down and I talked with Dustin Brown and I admitted, it, I was like, to be honest with you, I would like one more year as a third guy, because I feel that I will not be ready to, you know, handle this challenge that you've put ahead of me. I just need that one extra year to go ahead and, you know, take up more information learn the in and outs of not only the electrical systems, but, you know, mechanical failure and diagnosing it because it's not like the with these monster jam trucks, it's not like it's an automotive repair center. You can't just put it on the rack and have your sweet time to look at it. You basically got to diagnose it 
as it's rolling through the tunnel, from the pits, down the tunnel, to the starting line, from the starting line in the air. you got to be Johnny on the spot diagnosing it, the way it's landing, how it's coming off the line, what pressures are in the tires. You know, it's a lot of, a lot of little, little things that I just thought I wasn't quite ready for. So you took the, re- so, uh, so the 2015, when I first met you, that's when you had Fred helping you out with, uh, Matt, uh, Levinsky and, uh, you had FS1 and doomsday. Uh, yes. that's when I first met you. Um, yes. and, and you had basically pretty much, I mean, and bat a pretty cool and good teacher in Fred. Oh, absolutely. I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people <laughs> were intimidated by him with him cussing out everyone, but that's Fred. And, uh, but still, yes, I mean, Fred. um, how was it having him basically, uh, watching over you guys a little bit, giving the freedom of what you guys needed to do, but still be there to help you guys out. That's basically, you, you basically answered it. And, uh, to backtrack a little bit, uh, the Fox sports and doomsday was my second year. And that's when I felt that I wasn't ready because, you know, when I found out that I was going to be with Fred Hummel, I kind of, you know, the intimidation level was way there. And I was like, Oh man, I really don't want to screw this up. But, the best thing that ever happened was being teamed with Fred and Matt because we got along so well. They thought that that team was going to fall apart. We didn't let it happen. By like mm-hmm. the end of the month, because there's three months in that tour, give or take, by the end of that first month, we, me and Matt were Johnny Spot on the trucks. Fred basically was just there standing in the back wanting to be like, well, what can I do? And we're like, we got it. We know what we're doing. And, you know, I just let all those butterflies in my stomach go and I just went with it. And any little thing that, you know, Fred would talk about, you know, me and Matt were there and we were listening and, you know, just listening to his advice and taking it every little bit that he would say in and just doing the job and make sure that that truck made every element. Nice. Yeah, because we did Reno with you guys. I like the story that you told me about the, the town that I kind of was close to in a place called Wheeling, West Virginia. You guys did a story <laughs> at this place called Ogilvy. And I remember you were telling me like the place that you guys were in were like kind of remind you of The Shining or something like that. <laughs> no, no the, that, that hotel, Ogle, it's Ogle Bay golf course uh the where we were staying the show is in wheeling west virginia i mm-hmm. i don't know if they changed the name of the arena or not but yeah it's, it's now called the west the banco okay west so arena west banco arena okay so mm-hmm. we go to this hotel and you know this is when finally we me matt and fred completely came out of our shells and we're just having a, a ball of a good time and uh, we get to Wheeling, West Virginia, and we pull up to this hotel, which is that golf course, and it's completely shining. Like, you picture the movie The Shining, this is that hotel. But it was the coolest hotel in the world. For as old as it was, there was a lot of history and the wildlife that was around us. And this is a 100% true story. We got done working on the trucks. We came back to the hotel. We were going to go have dinner at the restaurant. And we're just sitting there just, you know, having a couple of sodas, eating cookies. And I was eating oatmeal cookies at the time. And uh, the, the room got a little warm. So I got up and I opened the door. Matt went to go use the bathroom. And I'm sitting there just eating my cookies. And then two deer walked into the hotel room. I'm sitting there cannot, thinking like this is not happening. This is this is how could this happen? And I'm wigging out because I'm like, you know, there's a big buck in front of me with his antlers. And I'm just like, Matt, Matt. And he's like, what, Phil? And I'm like, um, can you come out of the bathroom slowly? And he thinks I'm going to prank him with something. And I just hear him talking. I was like, Matt, you're not going to believe this, but we have deer in our room. And he comes out of the bathroom, and I'm sitting there feeding this Bambi just this oatmeal cookie. <laughs> and we're looking at each other like, is this seriously happening right now? Am I feeding Bambi a cookie? And then eventually, you know, I fed, fed it the cookie, and I'm like, okay, it's time to go. And the, right when I said that, the deer just backed up, and they both walked out of the room. And 
that was it. We shut the door, and I'm like, did this really just happen? <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But let's go with uh, – uh, so you did a lot starting in 2015, kind of in the summer. You started staying a lot at Paxton. Yes. And a lot of people m- may not know when we talk about Paxton, it's kind of our training, kind of our training deal. Um, the Monster yeah. Jam University. Yeah. A lot of us just call it Paxton, right? Yep. <laughs> and uh, you you started staying there a lot. And to a point where later on in kind of towards the end of your uh, Monster Jam story, uh, you kind of became a normal or regular, and I think you started staying in Paxton. But we'll get to yes. that in a little bit. But um, how how's the experience? Uh, basically, tell people what the Paxton life is. Not being a, you know, I'm not talking about the regular Paxton guys that work on Max D and stuff, but the the situations of people going to Florida, North Carolina, doing all these training and soon to be Monster Jam University. Uh, get ready to work. Uh, this is what you signed up for. And this is what you have that, you know, that fire in your heart for to, to, to be a monster jam technician. Paxton is where it is, it, where it makes or breaks you. And it's, it's like the military has a boot camp. It's not like, Oh, we're going to send you to Paxton and haze you. Like that's a college frat house that, that doesn't happen. It's just basically they send you to the training facility they show you the truck. They'll actually get you in the truck, teach you how to, to operate it. Uh, and then we'll just go down a bucket list of, you know, how to fabricate, how to do corners, how to swap an engine, how to do a transmission, how to, you know, properly do uh, uh, line up the driveline system, how to pull a third member, how to check your lockers, how to check to see if you have a broken inner axle or an outer axle. It's just basically uh, it's like it's school. It's a school for being a monster truck mechanic. Right, right. Yeah, we we all have to do it. And then, that, and then the thing is, is, you know, your work and how you do stuff in Paxton also feeds back to the places that you go. So that also helps you out. So let's go to the following year. And it's kind of crazy because not really crazy, but pretty cool to know that next two trucks that you basically they gave you lead control on were two debut trucks. Um, the VP racing fuel mad scientist, then Mm -hmm. the one that's on your chest, Megalodon. How cool was the opportunity for them to trust, um, the company trusting you on handling two brand new trucks and VP was a brand new truck. It was, yes. (laughs) <laughs> built up and gave to you brand freaking new. So how brand was that opportunity? Oh, well, just, just you leading up to what you were talking about. You just redraw so many memories and you just got my heart racing again. Just like the very first time the words were spoke to me saying you are going to have a very high profile truck. Um, it's, Oh my God. It, uh, Nerve-wracking, extremely nerve-wracking. I mean, to be honest with you, I I, I think uh, watching my daughter come into this world was less nerve-wracking than having this beautiful truck handed to me. Um, I had Leo Donnell once again. Uh, me and Leo Donnell were uh, not enemies, and we weren't, you know, we, we would speak to each other, and it would be about the truck been learning from Tanner because Tanner was with Leo Donald for many years. I basically learned off of what I need to do for Lee. We had our ups and downs with the truck because we were still working out mechanical gremlins with it. Um, We would go to each show with a positive attitude, making sure the truck was tight and ready, just like he always wanted it. And, uh, you know, we had, uh, he, he actually, between him and Scott Buto, who was still running Firestorm at that time, those two guys on that tour, because it was a combination of arenas and stadiums, um, those guys on that year that we had, we kind of racked up more wins than more than anybody else. And we had a we had a list of people that could drive on that series. Uh, we had Charlie Pawkin with the Digger. 
Kansas Jolly and Monster Mud. Just those two right there is a, is a full powerhouse. Uh, and then we kind of had a couple other trucks that would just kind of bounce on and off the tour of it being, depending on who was driving the El, to uh, El Toro. And then uh, I'm trying to remember the other couple of trucks that would be with us, but those were mostly independents. But uh, yeah, uh, great, great season. Um, sadly, that season for me, though, came to a screeching halt. Uh, I think it was six, uh, maybe four shows, uh, excuse me, before World Finals. Uh, we were in New Orleans. And uh, you we hurt yourself, were, right? Yeah, I broke I broke my ankle. I, uh, I, I slipped, I was getting ready to, uh, get the trailer loaded because the local law enforcement told us that we had to have the trailer loaded in 30 minutes, or we would have to stop what we were doing and relocate the trailer half a mile away to a, uh, open lot. And at that time it was already 11 o'clock at night. So it was, Hey, let's hurry up, get these trucks loaded. I made the mistake of rushing and I just came right down on my ankle and that was it. But instead of going to the hospital, I ended up basically having a friend reset my leg and I loaded the toolbox, the tires and the truck. And then I limped my way back to the hot, uh, to the hotel thinking like, okay, maybe I just, you know, maybe I bruised my bone a little bit, but later on that night, nope, turned out it was broken. Gotcha. And then you healed up and I remember you spending most of the summer or all the summer that year at Paxton. Yep. Um uh, we were playing all video games and stuff like that. But then comes around the beginning of the Central Arena tour. Oh, so yeah. how did you get confirmed about the second truck that pretty much debuted that year with Megalodon? Um you know, I I I was kind of I was happy about it, you know, because I, I felt like I felt that after the year with VP kind of got washed, I failed. Like I failed myself. I failed the VP team. I failed Leo Donnell, especially, which broke my heart the most. And I felt that that following year was going to be my redemption tour. Like I did. I didn't know what I was going to be doing, but whatever I was going to be doing or crewing or third guying, I was going to do it 110%. And then as soon as I found out that I was getting a brand new truck once again with a brand new team and a brand new driver, I felt more blessed and excited to be given that second chance to represent Megalodon and have Justin Sipes as a driver. And we just went out and just killed it from day one. We worked together. We talked everything we did. It, it was even phone calls after the show was done when he'd be at home during the week, it was all about the truck and that's all. And still technically it still is to this day when I talk to Justin, cause that's all we talk about still is just the trucks. So then you kind of dominated that whole season. Let's just be honest. It was just, it was Megalodon's year. I mean, you had a lot of, I mean, Camden Murphy was in that tour and he was trying to keep up and, and, but it was so, far ahead that um no one was really touching you so you won the championship and now you add a couple another awesome to it the following year you're back together again yep and you're running that table so how was it now knowing that hey they're gonna let you the next year run the same truck well identity instead of yep. You know, mix because the last couple of years that you're running, um, a lot next couple of years and stuff like that, basically you're jumping to different trucks left and right. This yes. time you finally got that steady truck that you finally kind of, you know, you and Justin Sipes kind of had that good pair. So getting to it now, they sign you back to the Megalodon truck. So now you're not starting from scratch. So Immensely for you, was it kind of like basically having a page in your notebook and learning from the past to improve to the 2018 year? It, it definitely was like having that awesome page in a notebook, but uh, like you were touching base on uh, same identity, but different chassis. Every chassis and every truck is, you know, they're, they're basically some are in-house, some are CRDs, 
Um, this truck was a little bit special because this was one of, I think, the three trucks that felt built that year. So it was another new truck that we had to work the demons out of. But once we finally got everything all set up, and it was just mostly shocks. Shocks was the make or breaker. Uh, the other thing that went into it is we, we went in with a game plan. And the year before that, I was kind of restricting Justin a little. Like, hey, you know, no unnecessary damage. Let let's let's keep this. Let's keep that power plant healthy. Let's get make you get out there and get every element completed because it's the points. That's what we're going after. We're going after the points. And I felt like I held Justin back a lot. Well, the following year came around, and Justin's like, "So what are we going to do?" And I looked at him and I go, "I'm going to be very disappointed if you do not bring that truck back." scraped into the trailer at the end of every show we are going to burn this truck to the ground every show regardless of what happens do your job don't worry about the truck in the other lane run your race burn it down that's so cool and then so let's let's go ahead and talk about kind of towards the end of the uh your time with monster jam i guess um you met someone it was funny because you met <laughs> you met Megan in the first line. You wife. said you met your wife at a sporting store type deal at the mall because it was me, you, and Ferrari. And you yep. told her, "Am I gonna meet my next ex-wife?" And <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the line that kind of sealed the deal, I guess. And we didn't know I mean, it was gonna yeah. be, come this way, but um, you know, you 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 kind of wouldn't i don't know off the top of my head when did you leave monster jam 2018 19 uh 2018 was the final season uh after me and my my girlfriend at that time to be before she became my wife um i that was my second that was the second year with justin and then uh i soon found out that i was going to be a dad and i basically right when i found that out it was like do do i need to stop like i there's no way that you know i can be dad and and play monster truck well luckily my wife's an awesome amazing person and she said this baby's not here yet you got a while go out and do one more season leave on a positive note so we went out and that's when we won that second arena tour championship and it was the greatest thing in the world because right after that was all said and done with that win uh, or sorry, uh, she was born uh, at the end of the first arena tour season. And the second arena tour season, she came to a lot of shows with my daughter, which everybody knows well of Baby Shark. The kid's more popular <laughs> than I am, and I'm the one that keeps the truck going. <laughs> so we're going to throw a, a different thing about it, because the one thing that me and you had, we became good friends, was the love of sports. Uh, yes. you, you're a diehard Raiders fan, you're a diehard Cubs fan, and you're a diehard Kings fan. And it was pretty cool to talk to you about sports in general because, you know, no one else, you know, you know, it was different at the Feld, Feld building. I mean, you got guys that love hot rods, you got guys that, you know, like Patrick, he loves World War II nostalgia airplanes. I mean, yes. how, how badass is that? And then, um, uh, or or finding stuff. He he. Okay, so Patrick's on the chat. He was the former crew chief for Nicole Johnson and Scooby Doo, and we were driving the Paxton in one of our uh, Paxton ordeals, and someone had a yard sale, a garage sale, just a random garage sale. The boy spent a chunk of the change on this freaking military packet and the sleeping bag that keeps yourself warm, and it was freaking it was cool because he was finding stuff before the finding stuff was popular and uh he i remember remember in 2015 world finals where he got that little pit bike oh my god yes the 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 the, the yard sale trailer <laughs> as we like to call it because when those guys showed up to vegas it looked he had like a crap they load of packed, them. <laughs> it looked like they packed their home their storage unit their rv Another storage unit on top of a five-family household inside this trailer. When you walk past that trailer, it legit looked like you were going to a yard sale. I think I almost paid like five bucks for a set of wrenches, and uh, yeah, that was about it. <laughs> Phil gang is fine China out. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, Patrick, if you're watching, how many bikes did you have in that trailer? Because I know you had one you were going around. Was it two? I think it was two or three. It was I two, don't know. Him, was and him and two? Dakota had them. Oh, yeah. That was a happy couple right there, let me tell you. Oh. Um, <laughs> if, that, if that trailer could talk, especially with J.P. Ruggiero driving uh, Diablo. <laughs> Patrick goes four. And Mike Wales oh. banned me in all mobile ATV style <laughs> for drag racing in Vegas. Well, it's my milk. Could, could, could you just imagine Mike Wells rolling up on an ATV with his glasses and his beard? Just put it away. Yeah. <laughs> there was one time. Oh my gosh. Just some funny stories about Patrick. It's always a good time. But uh, man, he he had a he was always cool to be around and and it, so anyway we we talked about sports and did fantasy football and stuff like that. But it, you know your love for the Raider Nation is crazy. I mean, you finally went to a football game uh, at Green Bay and yep. uh, what got killed? What... <laughs> <laughs> thank God for thank God it was preseason. So what got you to you know fall in love with that football team and what got you to keep on going with them? just uh just uh the fan base i mean even not even the fan base just a all right i'm gonna come out and say it. they're criminals i love them they're the dirtiest <laughs> players the roughest players in the nfl it didn't matter i mean they're just like your pittsburgh steelers those guys i mean if you had escaped felons that were football players i think the pittsburgh steelers and the raiders took them all yeah they did play dirty in the 70s i tell you that much oh. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there. That was a rivalry right there. But we got uh, a question from uh, Cocabana, and he said, uh, "Being a diehard Cubs fan, has there ever been a better sports high than the one from winning the ring at the end of the two thousand? Uh, I think the one oh eight year drought." Uh well, the uh, good question, and. Uh, my Uncle Tom, back in the 40s, played for the Chicago Cubs. So being a fan of baseball, you know, it was awesome just to have that achievement for them because it's a 108-year drought. I mean, that that's that's horrible. It's like the Cleveland Browns of baseball. Uh, this It was an amazing, feel, amazing feeling for the city of Chicago, too, because, you know, you had the Blackhawks that went to the Stanley Cup a couple of times, so they were riding on that, and then Not there was bears. nothing. Yeah, that, yeah, the schmears. Uh, <laughs> they uh, yeah, they still uh messed up a trade for you know Mitchell Tabisky over you know Patrick Mahomes, but we won't talk about that. Uh, the uh, it was just an awesome thing for the city of Chicago. It was cool to you know look up at a picture of my uncle Tom that was hanging on the wall at the Paxton Inn. Yes, I carried a picture of my uncle Tom with me that year. And uh, just to watch it on TV that night and, and just watch them win in the city of Chicago. I think what got me crying was watching Bill Murray crying. <laughs> you know, it was, I remember watching that and it was what between the Cubs and the Indians, wasn't it? Yeah. And that's the how... fun. The funniest thing is I still, to this very day, um, the, I forgot what season it is of the MLB baseball game, the show, but it's uh, the very last thing before they actually like display the picture that they that the guy's drawing out in the chalk. It's of course Joe Buck talking like Joe Buck, and he says that this is going to be a tough play. The hit, the ground, the throw. That's it. The Cubs win, and still to this day, it's like I get goosebumps on my arm just hearing that over and over. So, uh, also a cool thing is that you love music. You love playing the drums and, um, you know, you're a rock guy, heavy metal, speed metal, you know, thrash. death metal, thrash, thrash metal, thrash, death metal, no. anything that I, anything that we can get into a mosh pit and have a good time too. Right, right, right. So what got you involved with playing the drums? Um, I, to be honest with you, I I was I was probably around maybe four years old, a year older than my daughter, 
And my brother had a drum set, which I wasn't allowed to touch whatsoever unless, you know, don't he touch was there. my drum set. Yeah, yeah, don't don't touch my drum set. Basically just <laughs> like that. dick on this, mother. <laughs> <laughs> and uh he uh my mom walked into the room one day and I was playing a Led Zeppelin I was playing Led Zeppelin on vinyl record Black Dog. And I was mm. sitting there with pencils on a little toy that I had. Just playing, just like John Bonham, just keeping up with it. And my dad told my father, she's like, um, I think we have a drummer. And my dad's like, okay, well, they bought me this little drum set at the time. And I wailed on that thing from sun up to sundown to the point to where I wore the skins, a hole in the skins. And then I, I got a, a professional kit, and then it just went from there. But now, sadly, my uh, my drum set is now used as a uh, as a laundry rack, thanks to my daughter. <laughs> Man, so you know, it'd be it's wouldn't be the elephant in the room if I wouldn't be able to ask this question. And I mean, you've been stepped away in the monster truck world for a while. Um, you know, your family and you have a huge supporting family, your daughter and stuff like that. Do you still get that itch? Every day. I will not lie about it. Every single day, every waking minute of my life, I eat, sleep, and breathe those trucks. It's getting to the point to where I think I might need a straight jacket and, you know, have my brain melted to where I don't remember monster trucks because it's at the point now to where I wake up and I'm in show flow mode. Like, you know, it's that, that rush feeling that you get. Or even there's times when I'm sleeping and I wake up and my arms are flailing, flailing in the air because I'm having a dream of thrashing on a truck that my driver just, you know, lawn darted in the ground and pushed the front housing to the rear housing. Or just, you know, even, and I got to thank you so much once again for having me on this podcast. Like this podcast and being live with you right now, it's just, it, it fuels my fire even more to get back to those trucks. I mean, it's just to work on them, just to be around them. I mean, you know, it's awesome. To, to be at the show with my family and my daughter and my wife, but my wife and my daughter understand that they know that it's, you know, an itch that I need to scratch. And when it's time to go play with trucks, it's time to go play with trucks. I was about to say you were at a show, I think uh, the hot wheels monster truck live. Yep. Uh, so that was pretty cool to watch. And I mean, oh, how is your daughter? Does your daughter uh, intrigued by these monster trucks too? Does she like just, I know she's pretty much, <laughs> <laughs> everything with her is, everything with her is monster jam this monster trucks that uh i bought her the gravedigger power wheels which i have barry musauer make me an awesome custom wrap for that uh the uh she she drives it, it's scary because i never what i truly wanted to do is i wanted to be a, a, a monster truck mechanic first and then i wanted to find a way to get into the actual driver's seat just like everybody does of course you know there's steps to you know, becoming an actual, you know, monster truck driver. I never got a chance to achieve that. I'm still to this day, uh, every chance that I get, you know, I'm keeping my, keeping my eye on the radar to see, you know, what, what shows are going on, you know, what festivals are around. Do I know the truck? Do I know the person? Can I go out there and give you a hand? Just, you know, mm -hmm. eventually one day I just, you know, that's the one thing that is, uh, also really hard to admit it's everybody's got a bucket list in their life and monster trucks and being family man and all that other stuff that that's on my bucket list. And I'm sorry to say it, but my bucket list is getting really empty, but that drive a monster jam truck or drive a monster truck in a full show is still one of them that I would, if I had the opportunity to do it, I would, I mean, I had big Hoss give me a call a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we were talking about the good old days about the monster trucks and, you know, it just, it, it just, every time it comes up, anything about them crazy trucks, it just, I just, I can't get enough of them as much and as we complain any, about them. <laughs> yeah, we complain a lot, but we somehow still love them. But oh, another, like, uh, my, uh, final question for you, um, what would you tell anyone that hasn't stepped up into the doorway of monster trucks? you know, that has a dream or is afraid, you know, you know, is afraid of stepping foot and wanting to do this, or maybe they want to do this and 
they have no idea what to do about it. What would be like the first advice you would tell them, you know, if they want to make this a career, I guess. Um, my first question would be is, uh, do you, do you have a family? Are you married? And if they say, well, I'm not married, but I have, you know, I have children. Well, you, this, this is an animal. This is not an ordinary career. Um, this is something that, you know, becomes your life. Like when we say the monster jam family, when you get in the group of the people, you basically become a family member. And if you have, you know, you're married and you have kids and stuff like that. And if that part of your life, which is your life is not on board with the career choice, you need to step away because it is not worth losing your loved ones or losing a marriage over. I strongly stress that do not. And I repeat, if you are married and have children, do not come to this career unless they are a hundred percent committed to going on this roller coaster ride. Um, if you are a young single person that is extremely willing to, to travel a lot and see the United States and eventually see the world again, once this horrible COVID is gone, um, go for it. Take your time. Listen to what other people have to tell you. Sit around in a circle. Listen to what the other Monster Jam family members have, or even the independent guys have to have to say. Because you know, every little bit of knowledge and input that you get goes a very far and long way. And so, uh, yep. Go, go ahead, Phil. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. I, I lost oh. my train of thought on what I was no. going to say next. Uh, so you know. Basically, if they have to just take a look of what the pros and cons is and go ahead. If you, I would say if you're willing to do the dream, if you have an opportunity, open the door, step through it. Because I yep. think the worst feeling in the world is when you ask yourself why or why didn't I do it? Um, you know, I should have. Why couldn't I do it? You know, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of situations like that. And. I think that hurts the person internally more than anything else uh, that not have the opportunity when the opportunity leaves. So take full advantage of the opportunity. And like Phil says, listen, uh, be a sponge. Um, every person's different. I'm not going to lie. I found that out the hard way. You know, one person may learn something within a day. Another person may learn something five months from now repeatedly, but keep after it. That's the best thing I could say. Um, is there any social media people can uh, follow you at? Um, yeah, Phil Leonos on Facebook. <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, so just type in Philly and then Onos, and then I'll come right up. There's a picture of Forky, and you know anybody's welcome to add me. I mean, you know, I I usually post a lot of weird things and stuff like that, but you know, it, it's getting to the point to where you know I I gonna I hate Facebook completely. Like I I I think it's evil. It's but that's what I think about I TikTok. Oh yeah, that too. What next? For yeah. can we just go back to MySpace? Like, can, right. can, can we just go back home? Can we Why go can't back we to just MySpace? go back to uh, PayPal or PenPal? Yeah, that too. <laughs> Sneaking notes <laughs> under the desk, but uh, actually, I just want to touch back on a couple of things real quick. Um, the uh for the career, I would definitely go for it. It's you, you either going to get a great experience out of it or it's not going to be for you. I grew up with everybody telling me, well, what do you want to do when you get older? I want to work on monster trucks. That's the dumbest dream I've ever heard of. You know how expensive that is. You need a real job. You need this, that, and the other. And you know what? The more and more people put it down, the more and more fueled my fire and look what I did with it. And then the second thing is all the guys, everybody, from Feld Entertainment that I've worked with over the year, or over the years, and especially on the Central Tour that we had and the, the last tour that I was on, everybody from Zach to Ozzy to to Matt Cody to Kevin, everybody. I'm missing. So I'm leaving somebody out. And, oh my God. Uh, he races. Uh, he does uh, the the drag racing on the water with the snowmobiles. Oh, uh, Mike Raleigh, Raleigh. Yeah, Mike Raleigh, Raleigh. all those guys. And uh, a major big shout out to John Sanfilippo because he was with me in the trailer with the Megalodon that second year who was an awesome help. But all those guys that are backstage and women that are backstage, 
if it wasn't for you, a certain nights and certain days, that truck would have never made it from the back to the tunnel to the show. And I thank you guys. It's been an awesome privilege to work with them. We're family. I love and miss every single one of you guys. Yeah, yeah, I miss everyone. I'm st- I'm still in it on the independent side though. But this gave me a good topic for all you guys. Uh, this is not just for drivers only. So, if crew members or crew chiefs, past and present, that wants to be on, message me, and I'll put you guys on. I mean, all Phil did was message me, and you know, I, I always thought, I always thought, what if I messaged Phil? Phil be like. You want me on? That, that's stupid. Leave me alone. Okay, Phil. Bye, Phil. But because <laughs> Phil does have those moments where it's like, what's up, Phil? F off. Okay, Phil. Bye, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> or, you hear, or you hear a wrench getting past the ground and door slamming. Yeah, but I mean, that's occasionally. But I mean, no matter what, though, like if I'm working on something, Phil stops by. And I'm, I always felt lucky that out of all the people out there, you always stop by my stop the uh, shopper whatever the hell we're at you know this area and just be right down the street from the Kenworth dealer <laughs> <laughs> but still i always thought that was pretty cool you know you stop by and you just you know just talk to me and then you go off and you tell me what you're pissed off about and then you uh move on and do whatever you need to do at the florida shop and you and your little mr beachy car you still have that hey, car or you trade that hey, in hey hey that little gem is still running to this day. She just uh, you still she have put it? on nine. Oh, still got it. She's still nice. I'm still grinding gears with that thing. That's my <laughs> that's my little semi, man. I yeah. traveled I traveled the United States in that car. Right. Uh, that's <laughs> cool that you still have that thing. That thing was a gas saver, especially in, you know, traveling all especially when you did that travel from Florida to Paxton all the time. Uh it was farther than Paxton because you gotta remember that from Paxton to where uh, I was born and raised was like three and a half hours. So I would overshoot Paxton to surprise my family on the way up and then drive the three extra hours down. So it was like six and a half hours round trip from where Paxton is to about Chicago. But after learning a couple of shortcuts, it cut down the time a lot. Gotcha. Man, Phil, it's awesome to have you on. Thank you for being on. Like I said, if anyone else... If anyone else, crew guy wise, want to be on, just message me and I'll put you in. We could talk about stories and how you guys get in and help other people out. But yeah, Phil, uh, once again, thank you so much. We're about to get ready to get Cole Vinard on. So um, once again, folks, I'm going to hop off here and we're going to get on. uh, We're going to shut down the podcast for a little bit. By seven o'clock, we'll have Cole on and Brad. Brad will be on too. And then we'll start that episode and uh, go from there. So once again, guys, thank you for being on. Um, Once again, thank you again, Phil. And uh, we'll be here. Welcome. (laughs) Well, once again, we'll be on shortly here. So uh, like uh, Brad always says, keep the rubber side down and the shiny side up. See you in a few. And.